This is Truth and Focus, your radio program for worldview talk and issues that matter, with Josh Cumston and Gordon Teeson, broadcasting from the studio at Nebraska Christian Schools. Welcome to Truth and Focus. I'm Gordon Teeson, along with my co-host, Josh Cumston. Well, our guest speaker this morning is Justin Peters. You can find out more about Justin. He's got a website. It's just justinpeters.org. Justin and his wife make their home in Edmond, Oklahoma. Justin has traveled throughout the country. In fact, he's been outside of the U.S., I think, in 10 different countries. Speaks quite often on the area of discernment, helping people to understand what things critically they need to look at in terms of the church, the things that are false, the things that are true. And so with that, let's read Justin Peters this morning. What I want to talk to you about this morning is something called the Word of Faith Movement. We'll be looking at the false doctrines of the Word of Faith Movement. Now, the Word of Faith Movement is a proper name given to a movement that's more commonly known as the Health and Wealth Gospel, the Name and Claimant Gospel, the Prosperity Gospel. Basically, the doctrine that says it's always God's will for a Christian to be wealthy, and it is always God's will for a Christian to be physically healed. We should never be sick. Or if we do get sick, physical healing is guaranteed as long as we have enough faith. And word faith theology dominates today what we see on Christian and cable and satellite television networks such as TBN, Trinity Broadcasting Network, Daystar, Lasea Broadcasting, the Inspiration Network, and any number of local outlets. It's not 100% of what you see on Christian television, but it is the vast vast majority of it and if you've ever watched Christian television you've seen this you've seen people like Benny Hinn you know a faith healer claims to be able to heal people he'll put his hand on people's foreheads and they'll fall over you know or he'll wave his coat at them they'll fall over Benny Hinn Kenneth Copeland Creflo Dollar Jesse Duplantis Joyce Meyer Paula White Joel Osteen you've, I'm sure you've seen Joel Osteen right the smiling preacher on Christian television all these people who teach that it's always God's will to be wealthy, it's always God's will to be physically healed, we should never be sick. Now, a long story short, just as a little bit of background information, how I first became interested in this movement, it was when I was a teenager. I was born with cerebral palsy. I walk with crutches. I was born crippled. And when I was 16 years old, a neighbor of mine came up to me and he said, Justin, God has spoken to me and he's told me that he's going to heal you as long as you have enough faith and this neighbor of mine he's one of these guys that God is just always talking to you know his name is Charlie Charlie's always getting a dream always getting a vision God was always speaking to him God seemed to speak to Charlie more than he, he did to Moses you know he's just one of these kind of people and he said that God has spoken to me and he's told me he's going to heal you as long as you have enough faith and at age 16, you know, many of you are right around that age, if not exactly that age. At that age, I really wanted to be healed. I wanted to be able to run. I wanted to be able to play football. I wanted to do all the things that my friends were doing. And so I really latched onto this. And he told me about a faith healer who was coming to my hometown of Vicksburg, Mississippi. You can probably tell I got a little bit of an accent. I'm originally from Mississippi. Coming to Vicksburg, Mississippi named Nora Lamb. And Nora Lamb was a Chinese woman. She's from China. And uh, she wrote a book entitled China Cry, in which she detailed how God supposedly brought her out of communist China. And it's a very dramatic tale. She claims that she carried her 
firstborn child in her womb for a full 12 months just so God could get her out of China before she gave birth. And I found out years later that, that a little of anything of what Nora Lamb told about herself could be documented. She just made a lot of this stuff up. But at any rate, she's supposedly this big faith healer, and I really wanted to be healed. So a long story short, I went to the Holiday Inn that night in hopes of being healed. I fully thought I was going to be healed, and obviously that did not happen. I'm still crippled. And it's not something that I'm bitter about, not at all. But God in his sovereignty allowed this to happen, and that kind of prepared me, started to prepare me for what I'm doing today. That was my first introduction to this prosperity gospel. And years later, as I began to study it, I began to realize that this prosperity movement, this health and wealth gospel, is not just about health and wealth. It's actually a different gospel. This movement is rooted in the metaphysical cults like Christian science, New Age, New Thought, Gnosticism, Kabbalah. And so what most of what you see on Christian television today is not Christian. It's cultic doctrine wrapped in some Christian terminology, wrapped in some Christianese to make it sound Christian, but the origins of it are actually quite cultic. So we're going to be looking at some of that today in our later sessions. But what I want to do this morning in our first session is just look at discernment. Let's look at discernment in general, the importance of discernment, what the Bible has to say about discernment. First, let's quickly look at the definition of discernment. According to Noah Webster, discernment is the quality of being able to grasp or comprehend what is obscure, and it stresses the power to distinguish or select what is true or appropriate. So being able to sift through truth from error, right from wrong. Okay? Now, the Bible, and if you don't get all of this, it's, it's okay. The Bible also has terms for discernment. The primary word in the Old Testament that we would look at in the Hebrew is the word ben. And ben means insight. It means understanding. It means to separate things from one another at their points of difference in order to make a distinction. And this word ben is used some 250 times throughout the Old Testament. So discernment is a very prominent theme in the Old Testament as it is in the New Testament. The primary Greek word that we would look at in the New Testament for discernment is the word diacrisis. And diacrisis means a distinguishing, a clear discrimination, judging. Oh, but I, I didn't think we were supposed to judge as Christians. Well, we'll look at that in just a little bit. And then the verb form of the same word is the word anachrono. It means to distinguish to separate out, to test. We are to test all things. Paul says this in 1 Thessalonians 5.21. We are to test all things. And that's not written there just to take up the white spaces. It's there for a reason. We're to test all things. We're to test ourselves. We're to examine ourselves to see if we are truly in the faith. Discernment is not an option for the Christian. Okay? It's not an option. It's a mandate. It is a duty. It is all of our responsibilities to be discerning. And a discerning Christian is one of the marks of a mature Christian. 
okay? A mature Christian will have discernment. Will have discernment. And discernment is vitally, vitally important, young people, because something that you'll notice, if you haven't already, something that you'll notice is that not everything that false teachers teach is false. Some of it is right. Some of it's right. I have here a bottle of water, and this water is fine. I can drink this water. But what if I were to put just one little drop of strychnine into this water, let it dissolve? Then should I drink it? No. It would probably kill me. Graveyard dead. 99.99% of it would be perfectly fine, but there would be enough poison in it to do me great harm. And the same can be said of the Word of Faith movement, though the percentage of error and heresy in the Word of Faith movement is far, far higher than the illustration of the water. The Bible says that a little leaven leavens the whole lump. Not everything that false teachers teach is false. And that is why discernment is so vitally, vitally important. If we do not have discernment, we will ingest the poison right along with the little bit of truth that they have. Now, the passage which is kind of the quintessential passage in Scripture for discernment is Acts chapter 17, verse 11. Acts 17, verse 11. For the Bereans were more noble than those in Thessalonica, in that they received the word with all readiness of mind, searching the Scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. The Apostle Paul and Silas were out preaching Jesus as the Messiah, the fulfillment of all the Old Testament Messianic prophecies, preaching the gospel. They came to the city of Thessalonica, and in Thessalonica, some people received them, but a lot of them did not, especially the Jews, and they were really antagonistic towards Paul and Silas, did not receive what they were teaching. So Paul and Silas left them, and they came to the city of Berea. And in Berea, Paul and Silas were received quite well, as was their message. And notice that the Bible says that the Bereans were considered more noble. Now, why were the Bereans considered more noble than those in Thessalonica? Well, I think we have three clues in this one verse of Scripture as to why the Bereans were considered more noble. Number one, the Bereans are considered more noble because they studied the law. In other words, they were students of God's Word. We must be good students of the Word of God. God has revealed himself to us in his son, Jesus Christ, and we have a perfect, inerrant, infallible, all-sufficient record of that in his word. And we cannot know God apart from knowing his word. So we must be good students of the word of God. And it's really sad that for the vast majority of professing Christians today, the words doctrine and theology have almost become bad words. And most people today think, well, I don't need doctrine. I don't need theology. I just love Jesus. That is a foolish statement. That is a foolish statement. Dear ones, if we love Jesus as much as we profess to love him, then don't you think we would want to get to know him? And the only way to get to know him is by knowing him in his word. He has revealed himself to us in his word. And so if we love Jesus as much as we say we do, don't you think we would want to spend some time with him? Don't you think we would want to get to know him? And the only way to get to know him is by knowing him in his word. And it is 
right doctrine. It is sound theology that deepens our knowledge of God. Doctrine and theology are not bad words. Our sound doctrine, our right theology, deepens our knowledge of God. And when our knowledge of God is deepened, our love for God is deepened. You know, if you love someone, you want to spend time with that person, right? You want to get to know that person. Adult men, when you fell in love with your wife, you wanted to get to know her. You studied her. You wanted to know her favorite food, how she likes her coffee, what she enjoys doing. You became a student of hers. You studied her. And the more you got to know her, the more deeply in love you fell with her. If we love Christ as much as we say we do, we should want to get to know him by spending time with him in his word. The Bereans were considered noble because they studied the law. And far, far too many people today never study their Bibles. They profess that they're Christians. They profess that they love Jesus, but they rarely, if ever, take the time to study the word of God. And I would submit that those people are something very, very wrong. Also, the Bereans were considered noble because they received the gospel with ready, engaged minds. One of the problems with the Word of Faith movement, the prosperity preachers, the hyper-charismatic movement, is that they actually encourage people to disengage rational thought. Put the old noodle up here and park. They'll say, if you really want to go deep with God, if you want to get to the deep, secret, hidden things of God, you've got to disengage your mind. Put your brain in neutral. Is that what the Bible tells us to do? Absolutely not. Jesus says we are to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, and mind. Paul says we are to study, to show ourselves approved unto God. The Bible never enjoins us to disengage our heads. Never. Never. We are to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, and minds. The Bereans were considered noble because they received the gospel with ready, engaged minds. And also, the Bereans were considered noble because they tested what they heard by the scriptures. Even though they received Paul and Silas, they received what they were teaching, notice that they did not take what Paul and Silas were preaching to them at face value. It says they searched the scriptures to see if these things were really so. To see if what Paul and Silas were preaching about Jesus really did plumb, really did measure up to the Old Testament Messianic prophecies. I would encourage you, do not take what a preacher preaches to you at face value. Search the scriptures to see if these things are so. I would encourage you not to take what I teach you this morning at face value. Search the scriptures to see if these things are really so. Because I'm not the authority. God's word is. God's word is our authority. Why is discernment so necessary? Well, I have more material here than what I have time to present, but let's look at this passage of Scripture. Paul says that the last days will be marked by unsound doctrine. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 4. Paul writes, For the time will come when people will no longer endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust they will heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. They shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall turn aside to fables. The Apostle Paul tells us that the time will come when people will no longer endure sound doctrine. And dear friends, that is exactly where so much of the professing church is today. Most people today don't want to hear anything about sin, righteousness, 
repentance, taking up the cross. Most people today, they just want to be told what they want to hear. They want to come to church and they want to be told they can have their best life now. They can have their purpose-driven life. God's going to give them a better job and a, a nicer car and he's going to heal their bodies. He's going to help them to lose weight the Jesus way and just bless their socks off. But they don't want to hear anything about sin, denial of self, taking up the cross. They just want to have their ears tickled. And I would submit to you that the most prominent ear tickler of our day-to-day -day is Joel Osteen. By no means the only one, but I would say the most popular one. Joel Osteen is pastor of the largest quote-unquote evangelical church in the United States of America, Lakewood Church in Houston, Texas. But Joel Osteen has repeatedly, repeatedly denied that Jesus is the only way to be saved. Not once, not twice, not three times, repeatedly denied that Jesus is the only way to be saved. Joel Osteen, therefore, is a false teacher. He is a false prophet. Now, he seems like a nice false prophet. You know, he smiles all the time. But he teaches things that are contrary to the gospel. He teaches a different gospel, and so, therefore, he is a false prophet. Joel Osteen says that one thing that he can tell us is that 99.9% .9 of people are not bad people. Is this what the Bible teaches? Romans chapter 3, there is none righteous, not even one. There is none who does good, no, not one. 100% of people are bad people. You're a bad person. Do you know that? You're a bad person. I'm a bad person. Now, most of us like to think of ourselves as good because what we like to do is we like to compare ourselves to other people. And if I were to compare myself to... Saddam Hussein, Osama bin Laden, hmm, yeah, I'm not so bad. I'm a pretty good old boy. But friends, God does not evaluate our goodness by comparing us to other people. He evaluates our goodness by comparing us to himself. And none of us, compared to God, are good. We have all broken the laws of God. We are all liars. Everybody in here is told lies. Everybody in here. We are liars. We're thieves. We've taken things that do not belong to us. We're blasphemers because we've used God's name in vain. We have carried ourselves in such a way that brings reproach on the name of Christ. We're adulterers. And you may be thinking, well, I can't be an adulterer. I'm not even married yet. Jesus said if you look at a woman with lust, you've committed adultery already in your heart. If you've looked at another person with lust, you're an adulterer. We're liars, we're thieves, we're blasphemers, we're adulterers at heart. We are not good people. And what about this when Joel Osteen says, they may make poor choices, but deep down they've got a good heart. What does the Bible have to say about this? Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and is desperately what? Wicked. Who can know it? I heard a preacher one time encourage his church to, quote, follow your hearts. Young people, please don't do that. Don't follow your heart. Your heart is deceitful. Your heart will deceive you. Your heart is wicked. Don't follow your heart. Live in obedience to the word of God. Live in obedience to the word of God. Now, I want us to look at some of the objections that people will raise. You know, when we warn people about false teachers, not everybody is going to be real excited about that. Not everybody's going to like it when we call out people as being false teachers or false prophets. So let's look at some of the common objections and then we'll answer them from Scripture. One of the common objections that we hear is this. Judge not, lest ye be judged. 
one of the most often misquoted, taken out of context passages in all of God's word. Jesus does indeed warn us not to judge, but the kind of judging against which Jesus warns is hypocritical judging. Judging somebody for doing something that maybe we're really doing ourselves, that's what Jesus warns us against. The answer to this, though, is that, in fact, we are to judge safely within biblical parameters. When it comes to matters of doctrine, when it comes to matters of theology, we absolutely are to judge on these things safely within biblical parameters. Okay? Another criticism is this. You shouldn't name names. Now, some people will say, well, it's one thing to warn somebody about a false teaching, but don't ever call somebody out by their name as a false teacher. You know, don't ever call somebody out publicly by their name. That's not nice. Don't do that. Well, the answer to this criticism is that, in fact, there is a biblical precedent for calling out false teachers by name. The Apostle Paul did so himself on several occasions and did so quite publicly. So there is a biblical precedent for calling out false teachers by name. Now, it should not be done lightly. Okay, and we shouldn't call somebody out as a false teacher if they differ with us on some relatively minor theological point. You know, for example, maybe in your eschatology, maybe in your view of the end times, maybe you have a premillennial, pre-tribulation view, and you see somebody on TV that's got a premillennial, mid-tribulation view. <gasps> Scandal, false teacher. No, no. There's a number of relatively minor issues, dear ones, that we can have. You know, we've got some wiggle room there. There's, we can have some differences of opinion, still have fellowship in Christ. But when it comes to the fundamental doctrines of historical Christianity, the preexistence of Jesus Christ, the virgin birth, the sinless life, the atonement on the cross, salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, on these issues, we draw a deep line in the sand. You cannot compromise these doctrines. And when somebody repeatedly compromises these doctrines, we must call them out as false teachers. We must warn the flock about wolves in sheep's clothing. Absolutely. Another criticism is this. Now, when one of these false teachers begins to be criticized, this is almost always how they respond. Somebody calls them out on what they're teaching. This is almost always how they respond. Touch not my anointed. Touch not my anointed. You ever heard this? Well, when you hear a false teacher say this, this is how you can respond. Okay, take not scripture out of context because that's what they're doing. Now, touch not my anointed can be found in a couple of places in the Old Testament. One of them, Psalm chapter 105. He permitted no man to oppress them, referring to Israel. He reproved kings for their sakes. Touch not my anointed ones and do my prophets no harm. So this is a biblical phrase, but let's look at this in context. What does it mean? Well, the anointed ones refers to Israel's patriarchs and their descendants, not to today's modern preachers. It refers to Israel's patriarchs and their descendants. And the word touch actually refers to doing physical harm, not to speaking the truth. You might remember that when David and Saul, you know, they were 
at one another when David and Saul, uh, David had an opportunity to kill King Saul. Remember that? He had an opportunity to kill him, but he didn't do it. What did he do instead? When Saul was sleeping, he went over and he cut off a piece of his garment and he held it up and he said, I would not touch God's anointed. In other words, David was saying, I would not kill him. So we may be calling into question false doctrines taught by false teachers, but none of us is chasing Benny Hinn down the street with a baseball bat. You know, we're not trying to do him any physical harm. So when you hear, touch not my anointed, you can respond by saying, okay, that's fine. Take not scripture out of context. And by the way, there are three New Testament passages which refer to all Christians as anointed. If you're here this morning and you know Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, if you've been born again, guess what? You're anointed. And you have the same anointing as does every other Christian. There are no super Christians with a super special anointing that the rest of us common schmucks just don't have. If you're in Christ, you're anointed. And you have the same anointing as does every other believer. We all have the same access to God through a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. There are no super Christians. Another criticism is this. Well, this isn't very loving. This is not a loving thing to do to, to tell somebody that they're wrong. Let me give you an illustration. Let's say we were to see a blind man, a blind man walking towards a thousand-foot cliff. Who among us in here, if we were to see that tragedy unfolding in front of our eyes, who among us in here would see this and say, you know, I don't want to offend him. You know, I, I don't want to hurt his feelings by telling him he's going the wrong way. That, that might hurt his self-esteem. And so we just sit back and we say nothing. And we watch him fall off the cliff and plummet to his death. Would anybody in here do that? Of course not. Every person in here, if we were to see something like that happen, we would be shouting at that man at the tops of our lungs as loud as we could. Sir, you are in great danger. You're going the wrong way. Turn around. And yet, don't we do the very same thing, only far worse, with far greater consequences when we see people going the wrong way spiritually and we know the truth? Say nothing about it. If you really want to hate somebody, do that. If you really want to show hatred to someone, know the truth, don't tell them. If you want to love someone, you want to show love to another person, if you see that they're in spiritual danger and you know the truth, tell them the truth. That's the greatest way we can show love to somebody. It's not up to us how that truth is received, okay? It's not up to us how that truth is received. It is up to us to communicate it. The truth can be offensive. The gospel can be offensive. The Bible says that. The gospel is an offense. It can be offensive. But you know what? We don't have to be offensive in communicating it. There is a way to speak the truth, and Paul tells us how to do that. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15, Paul says to speak the truth in love. Speak the truth in love. If we really want to show somebody love, we should tell them the truth. And the final objection, criticism that we'll look at, well, Justin, they may be wrong in a few things, but aren't they sincere? The answer to this, sincerity is not the issue. Truth is the issue. Young people, the men who flew airplanes into the World Trade Towers were sincere. 
They were very sincere, but they were sincerely wrong, a fact about which right now they are all too well aware. Sincerity is not the issue. Truth is the issue. You know, I have my doubts about the sincerity of a lot of people you see on Christian television. Some of them, they may be sincere. Joel Osteen, for example, he may be sincere. Doesn't matter. Sincerity is not the issue. Truth is the issue. Well, this wraps up the program today. You've been listening to Truth and Focus. For my co-host, Josh Cumston, this is Gordon Thiessen. Thanks for joining us as we encourage, engage, and equip Christians in today's culture war while bringing the truth in focus. Mm -hmm.